Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of the God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Then and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Shall we just pray before we go to the talk? Uh, Father, we thank you because your word is so powerful. Even just listening to it, as it was being read, uh, Holy Spirit, you were working in our hearts. So would you continue your work? Continue to do what you're doing already in our hearts through the time of worship, through the reading of your word. Even as I speak, I pray may every word be from your heart, Lord. May nothing fr apart from your heart come through my mouth. Uh, we surrender all of our hearts. Speak to us in our points of need. We worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, if I have to be honest, in this day and age, no millennial or Gen Z would relate to being a disciple. They wouldn't even relate to the word disciple, right? If we have to describe ourselves, be it to anyone, in a job interview, be it to a friend, okay, fine, in these contexts we probably won't say. Be it to a friend in church. If someone asks you, who are you? Would you say I'm a disciple of Jesus? It's kind of not there in our diction, right? So now, why should we talk about this? Why is this so important? Some of us were probably even Christians, so followers of Jesus. Uh, when we think of the word disciple, we're like, disciple is a whole, like, it's like a next level thing. Right now, I'm a follower, Right? I'm not, yet, I'm not there yet. Do we relate to that? Disciple is kind of uh, like the pro level, right? R right now I'm at noise. Um, so why talk about this? A New Testament professor, Hans Quablin, I'm sure that's not the pronunciation. He points out the first word used for Christians, used to describe Christians in the Bible, was disciples. It was later on, the Greek word mathetes, disciple, was the first word that was used to describe followers of Jesus. The word Christian came later on. So when it all started, either you were a disciple 
or you are not a follower of Jesus. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no, this is one level and I'm going to go to the next level. No. It's plain and clear. This is why we need to talk about this. This is why we need to take this call to be a disciple a bit more seriously. And, and I'm hoping that as, as we go through the talk, that we only don't see the seriousness of it, which, which it is, but we also see the joy and beauty of it, that our hearts are warmed up to the whole uh, uh, call of being a disciple, that we'd want it with our own hearts. So let's spend some time looking at how Jesus is calling Peter, Simon Peter. We look at three things. What is he called to? The first thing, called to listen to Jesus. Right? Second thing, called to experience the power of Jesus. The third thing, called to treasure Jesus above all else. Yeah? Shall we look, shall we look at the first one, called to listen to Jesus? Picture this scene, right? There's this whole crowd who's following Jesus. They're pressing in on him. You, have you been in the Bombay local? You know what I'm talking about. A crowd pressing in on you. They want to listen to every word of his. Why? We see this in the previous chapter. In the, this is the small town that he's in. He's already preached in their synagogue, which is their kind of church service on the weekend. He's, he's done a, 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 an exorcism in that synagogue. Right, And then he's performed many miracles, many healings. And, and this is a small town and the word spread like wildfire. And people are here trying to hang on to every word that this man who's changed and turned their town upside down wants to say. And Jesus is almost running out of space on land. He's going back, he's going back, there's water and he sees the boat and he gets on to that boat. Now, while all this is happening, not too far apart are a group of fishermen. They've had a terrible night at work. They were not able to catch any fish and, and they're very disappointed. They're probably tired. You know what? sleeplessness can do to you. They're just washing their nets while this is happening. And, and the, the, the passage would imagine, would make us imagine to think that these, they were probably not as affected by Jesus coming into their workplace. They were just doing their own thing. What does Jesus do? He gets into Peter's boat. He asks him to put it away from, a, from the land a bit, He's using it as like a pulpit or a stage that you want to address and teach from. And I'm sure this would have got a busy, tired, fatigued, disappointed Peter's attention. Imagine this. Imagine Jesus coming to your workplace. And when he comes into your office, he's going to sit on your chair. That's going to get your attention, right? Forget Jesus. Anyone walks into your office and comes and sits on your chair, you would want to see who this person is, why is he doing that, and what does he want to say? So I'm sure Jesus got all his attention, and, 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 and Peter is, is, is all yours for what Jesus has to say. Now here's the thing. This is not the first time that Peter is about to hear Jesus. 
we see from the written account that Peter has already heard Jesus before. Jesus was in his synagogue. He heard him preach in the synagogue. And after that, we see in verse 38 in the previous chapter, Jesus leaves the synagogue and goes to Peter's home. So Jesus has been to Peter's home. And in his, in his home, he heals his mother-in-law. So he's experienced a healing firsthand in his family. And still when Jesus comes to his workplace, he sort of seems unaffected and he's doing his own thing, washing his nets. Now later on, once Jesus asks him for the boat, he, he, he listens to Jesus and then he, Jesus tells him, we see in the, in the passage that Jesus asked him to go out fishing. He's like, no man, I mean, Jesus, nothing happened last night. And then he obeys Jesus and then this huge miracle happens and it's like a turning point in his life. But my point is, this is not the first time he was listening to Jesus. Here's the thing. Life transformation happens when we are in a lifestyle of listening to Jesus. What do I mean? What we all sinfully want is without enjoying listening to Jesus and, and having a lifestyle of listening to Jesus, once in a while we want like a sermon to really blow our minds off and change our lives or like a, because our attention span is so bad, we want a reel in 10 seconds to say something and just speak into our situation and and our situation has changed forever, right? We, we, we don't want this lifestyle of listening to Jesus. We want these snippets here and there to come and, 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 and change our lives, change our hearts, change our minds. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, Jesus can speak one word and he can transform us in a moment. He can change. He can change us. But if these moments are not driving us into a lifestyle of listening to Jesus, chances are that that transformation is not going to last. So we see that Peter experienced this powerful moment when he gave himself. He, he's, he's listened to Jesus before. Probably that sermon, he was, he was wowed by it, but he didn't, that sermon didn't bring him to the point of Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. There's this, he hears him again at the boat. He sees a miracle. He sees, so he's experienced Jesus a lot more than just once. And we need this kind of lifestyle of listening to Jesus to have and experience these life transforming moments as a disciple. Now, why is it important to be in a lifestyle of listening to Jesus? Why is it important? Allow me to give us an illustration. All of us have good friends who we text fairly regularly, right? Uh, we also have friends who are, who are a couple. And oftentimes when you read, there's a, there's a message from the husband's phone and there's an extra punctuation or like an extra smiley and you know that's not the husband, that's the wife texting. Because how do we know this? Because we know the person. We know what is in character for them. We know what's out of character for them. So we know who this person is. So if you're not in a lifestyle of listening to Jesus and, and, and know who he is, what he is like, any real can change our way of thinking and it might not, it, it most probably won't even be Jesus' voice speaking to us. Jesus himself says, my sheep know my voice. And this is why it's so important as a disciple 
to be in a lifestyle of listening to Jesus. I also want to say this and encourage those of us who've probably been listening to God's word, who've been reading God's word regularly, but are going through a season where it's not, it's, it probably seems like it's not having much impact on our hearts. We're not having these life-transforming moments where we're going on our knees and saying, Jesus, I'm sinful, Lord. You are Lord of all heaven and earth. I need you. Probably this is not happening in our hearts. Allow me to encourage us. Christ is working even in those moments. Even in that sermon in the synagogue which Peter would have heard, but he didn't arrive to that moment, worked in his heart And then Peter comes. So no moment, no time spent on listening to Jesus through his word is ever wasting time. So even if it feels like nothing is happening, Jesus is working in our hearts. We're getting to know more about him. Getting to know who he is. That's the first call. Listen to Jesus. The second thing, we're called to experience the power of Jesus. Now, growing up as a Christian, I'm sure all of us, if, if you're a Christian, you would have heard this story, right? Growing up as a Christian, at least this is how this story has, uh, has been taught or caught by me, right? Peter obeyed Jesus. His net was on one side, and Jesus says, put it on the other side. He, he says... Uh, Nothing happened, but if you say I'm doing it, so I'll do it. And he catches this huge fish. And, and, and the, the lesson is, if you obey Jesus and do it, you will be blessed. You, you will see blessing beyond. All you need to do is switch the side of the net. And we apply it in various ways in our, in our lives. Like switch your stock from this to that. You know, all these kinds of, all these kinds of applications... Allow me to show us from this passage that this is such a limited and misleading understanding of what's actually happening in this passage. Let's look at what's happening. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Sure, Simon Peter obeyed Jesus and caught a huge catch. But he didn't come out of it feeling, I obeyed, now I'm blessed, this is it. If he came out like that, probably there's some sense to draw that kind of an application, but he didn't. Look at what it did to Peter. He, Peter realizes this is, this is much more greater than what I thought he is. And it drew him to his knees and it made him aware of his own sinfulness. And I said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. And then eventually it, it leads him to leave everything, that huge catch, and follow him. So the point of that was not that. But, but this morning... I'd like us to look at why did this particular display of God's power bring Peter to his knees? He experienced an exorcism in the synagogue. 
he experienced his mother-in-law's healing in his house. He experienced various people getting healed, miracles, miracles happening left, right, and center. But this hit home and opened his eyes to, to the absolute lordship of Jesus. You know, all these amazing works that, Jesus, that he's experienced before from Jesus, Peter is, is not really an expert in any of these, like exorcisms, healings, etc. They were not his areas of strength. This, is, this was not what he was good at, right? So he, was, he would have marveled it, at it from afar. Like, oh, wow, this is, this, is, this is great. But what happened on the boat was a professional fisherman took a fishing advice from a carpenter, which was his own area of strength and expertise, and he realized that he's not just a carpenter or a prophet or a great teacher anymore. He realized that he is Lord over all creation. Just as Peter's nets broke, his, his soul came undone. He went on his knees, said, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. You know, as, as, as successful and accomplished people who are, who are taught to be self-sustained and self-supporting in, in this culture, we rarely open up ourselves to experience God's power in our lives, right? We don't, we don't want outside help. You know, our, our health insurance got our health covered. Our investments got our finances covered. Our good qualification and work experience and skills got, got our careers covered, now, influencers are talking about having multiple streams of income. So just in case one shuts down, you're, you're not left dry. So we've got that covered. The future is in, in some sense covered. Now, with all these, all these are good things. But as believing Christians, even as followers of Jesus, we're trying to build an airtight life in, in our own strength without depending on the creator and the sustainer of our life. Jesus is like a last resort. If all of this fails, oh, okay, okay, Jesus is there. But until then, we are trying to build this airtight lives. If at all we probably go to him, it's in areas where we are probably not good at, where we are struggling, where we are weak. If at all we go to him, and then yes, his, God's word says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That is true. But friends, what about our areas of strength? When it comes to them, we are guarded. We know how to get things done. We have a backup plan. We have a backup plan for that backup plan. We rarely want to surrender and let anybody touch these areas that we are so good at. That makes us feel like, as long as this is there, I'm good. Because it's in our own areas of strength, it's in these areas that we are crowning ourselves as Lord. And when we crown ourselves as Lord over any area, it is difficult to see our sinfulness in that area. And Jesus is inviting us to see his power in our areas of strength where we let him take over. 
And then, then see our own sinfulness, see our own incapability, see our own weakness and say, Lord, what was I even thinking? Friends, what is that one area of strength in our life that is making us feel like we are in control? Even if it all else fails, this one area, I've got it covered and I can fall back on this. The one thing that is making me feel good about my life right now. In our areas of strength, we come to Jesus and say, it is you who have made me good at this. I am sinfully likely to take control of all of this. And I am taking control of all of this. And, and, and this, this, this is where I need to see my sinfulness. Help me. I need to dethrone myself as Lord and see you as Lord here. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to experience Jesus' power in all areas, especially the ones that we are most in control of. Can we surrender those to Jesus and say, we need you, I need you here. But what's the goal of all of this? What's the goal of listening to him? What's the goal of experiencing his power? That's the third thing that we are called to. We are called to treasure him above all else. Look at how, in, how this passage ends. In verse 11, after this huge catch of fish they got, in verse 11 they say, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Peter didn't invite Jesus and say, oh, you're a great teammate to have. Come join the business. No, you are amazing. I mean, this is nothing. So I'm going to follow you. This is the goal. Now, this doesn't, let me, let me be very clear. This doesn't just apply to those of us who feel called to quit our jobs and serve full-time in a church or, or in a religious setting, right? This is for everyone. The point is not to quit our jobs. The point is to treasure Jesus so much more than our jobs that we are not afraid to lose it in following Jesus. That in these day-to-day -day things where it's so difficult to take a call between prioritizing work and letting work control our lives to letting Jesus reign over our lives, these small calls every day, not being afraid of what might come if I choose Jesus. It is that that we are talking about, treasuring Jesus over all else. How did Peter come to this point of treasuring Jesus above all else? Of course, the miracle blew his mind. But it also cast light into his own heart. In the light of the, the power and authority that he just experienced, Creation was at his command. He became aware of his own sinfulness. And he realized there is no way. If he really is who he is, I can't be in his presence. I'm going to be crushed because I'm so sinful. That's why it says in verse 8, 
He fell down on Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But then at the same time, he sees that this very Jesus has been coming and pursuing him. And Jesus responds by saying, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he embraces him and he, and he calls him to follow him and, and live with him as a disciple and, and join him in his work. Friends, when we see both these realities together, the fact that there is no way I can survive in his presence, given my heart, but at the same time see this relentless love that has pursuing us, that is not leaving us despite our sinfulness, that is not giving up on us and coming at us again and again and opening up the heart to us. When we see both these realities, something deep and powerful happens in our heart. We begin to treasure this Jesus. Here's the thing. All of discipleship or this life-transforming moments happen in the tension of I can never be in the presence of a holy God. If he, if he were to judge me right now, and his, I, I'm very much deserving of his wrath, but at the same time, look and see that he's the very one who's pursuing us and wanting to be with us and, 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 and uh, wanting us to remain in him. It's in this tension that all of discipleship, all of our life-transforming moments, it is in this tension that we begin to treasure Jesus more and more. And for us as disciples of Jesus, for Peter and for us, this tension was resolved on the cross. When we look at the cross, we see that, depart from me, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinful man because I, 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 I deserve to be crushed, was actually put on Jesus. He was crushed in our place. And the cross is telling us, with arms wide open, come, come. I, I, I am embracing you. Friends, it is in this space that all of our discipleship, it's in this tension that all of our life-transforming moments, it's in this space that we begin to see Jesus for who he is and treasure him above all else. The more we see how we are undeservingly treasured by God in Christ, in Jesus, the more we grow in deservingly treasuring him above all else. And that's the goal of discipleship. As we see how God relentlessly pursues us to make us his own, his treasure, we deservingly grow in treasuring Christ in our own hearts. Let me grow, go uh, close with a simple application. Why am I saying that treasuring Jesus above all else is the goal of discipleship? Why is this the goal? 
Because in our sinfulness, we are prone to err in this discipleship journey in two ways. The first way is to actually walk in active rebellion and, and be like, I'm not listening to him. This is my life and I, I'll do as I please and, and, um, and, and treasure the so many things that capture our hearts more than Christ. That is one way to err. But the other way to err, especially when you hear a sermon, is, is I need to do all things. I, I need to get up and, and read my Bible, which is, which is a great thing. But often, this, this becomes a tick box to make us feel good about ourselves. Have we felt it? When we read the Bible that morning, we feel better about ourselves. Okay, I, I, I mean, God can you know, look at me and accept me today better than the day that we miss and we are feeling so crushed. I, I don't even want uh, to even think about God today. Or, or I don't even want to be, think of his presence today. I mean... I don't deserve it. And when we experience his power in this mode, we will begin to think like, I deserve it. I've been good, right? I'm so regular to church and I'm serving. You know, this kind of discipleship journey at best is not sustainable in the long run. At worst, is terribly harmful to our souls if we continue in this posture. May, this, may these both cases never be true of us. May we truly grow as disciples in treasuring Jesus above all else by listening to him and experiencing his power, living in that tension. I don't deserve this at all. What I deserve is really being crushed and destroyed in this moment. Oh, but Christ, living in this tension, may our discipleship journey be marked by the lyrics of this song, where, where, where we, which we sing regularly. It says, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. May we be aware of both these realities. Wretch because of our sinfulness, but we are treasured in Jesus and this is where all of life transformation as disciples happen. Allow me to pray and close. Lord, we are indeed wretched people who have been saved. And not just that, are being treasured as your own sons and daughters who are being to ex called to experience the, the vast richness and, 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 and being lavished upon by your love. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Many things capture the loves of our heart. There are so many things that we treasure above all else. We are rebels trying to run a hellbound race, but oh, Jesus, oh, Lord, you have loved us first, and you, you, in your love, you own us 
to your will and we are here in awe. May we always remain in this posture of awe. Not just here, but through the week in our workplaces. And may this shape everything in our lives, every area of our lives. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.